Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. We are back and diving into a little bit uh, more on the Appalachian Trail. So buckle up because it's going to be a Virginia kind of morning. So we left off basically at the end of Tennessee and all the rugged mountains and all that sort of stuff. And I'd been on this like crazy ridge line where there's sort of towns and stuff all all around, much lower down. And then you cross over into Virginia, which is sort of, it's an interesting state. And it's also sort of where the challenge of doing the AT takes on a little bit less physical and more mental challenge, so to speak, where you have, it's 550 miles to get just through the one state so it's by far the largest state and and has the most trail in it and it's it has sort of this reputation for being sort of boring and people start to get they get what's called the virginia blues where you get sort of depressed um you're going through the state for days and weeks and you you don't get out of it and then by the time you do finish it you've only done you're still not quite halfway there so it's it's sort of interesting. I didn't think that I was going to become depressed or anything like that. I mean, I was still just on such a high after after no longer having to be in the Smokies and dealing with all the regulations and just being back in the woods and and also my knees and legs were really coming into their own. So I think that the hike just to get into Virginia was like a 23 or 24 mile day. So the miles were really starting to come down and the towns are, are spaced kind of interesting in Virginia. It's almost like every hundred miles or so. So if you're pumping out 20 to 30 miles, you're, you're hitting a town, you know, every three, four days. So that makes it so you don't have to actually carry so much food. So it's not so heavy. And also, I don't know. It just sort of breaks things up. So I, I could see where if if you're hiking in Virginia and you're still doing 15 miles a day, um, yeah, if you're doing five, six days in between towns, it can still be a little bit depressing in in a lot of ways where you don't you just don't feel like you're making all that ground. But for me at that point, it was, it was really, uh, coming into its own. I was, I was just absolutely loving it. And the first town you go to is Damascus, which is sort of the, the poster child of AT towns. They do the big, uh, trail days, week long sort of party thing up there. And we were arriving when the, you know, it was quiet and there wasn't, there were, there are a lot of people that will stop wherever they are on the trail and take a bus or a car to Damascus just for trail days. And it is a really great spot for, uh, if you're like trying to learn about the trail and they have tons of outfitters, it's all this big outdoor stuff and they have parades and everything. But for us, it was just another town. But I, I do remember um, Scuba <laughs> at that point. I think we only had three days 
once we were out of Damascus, it was like three days to get to the next town. And I have this picture of him. I'm looking at it right now. And he's holding his food bag. And he had gone in and purchased literally, it looked like two weeks worth of food. It must have weighed 25 pounds. And it was just one of those things where I kept by looking at him and I was like, Scuba, man, what are you thinking? Why, why do you even want to carry it? And he's just like, I went in hungry. I went in hungry. And that's, that's you're always hungry as an AT hiker, but kind of you, you really want to balance it. Because if you go into the grocery to resupply, say for, for a five-day or a three-day trip like we were, uh, if you go in after a huge meal and you're not hungry, you're not going to get enough stuff. And the next three days, you're going to be sort of slowly rationing your food because you made the mistake of under provisioning. On the other side, though, if you go in hungry, you will literally walk out of there with, uh, I don't know how many bags full of food. And then, and then you end up a lot of times not being able to fit that stuff in your pack and you end up having to, uh, dump it in the hiker boxes in the hostels, which is just where you can throw food and gear that's not trash that anybody else can grab. And that that is sort of a point. I, I did know a couple of hikers that were doing the trail on such a, a small budget that they were they were literally sort of working their way from hiker box to hiker box. And, and it worked out well because, you know, if food and stuff sits in those for too long, it just gets thrown out. So it's better to, you know, get used and stuff. And usually it's not the good stuff. You're not going to find a lot of little Debbie snacks and a lot of, you know, kind bars or cliff bars. You're going to find oatmeal packets and, all those things, rice, things that, you know, the staples that people are like, oh, I bought too much. I got to shuck off some of this stuff. So I don't know. It's pretty interesting. But those, Virginia, I would say, is sort of the last state where you really see a lot of that stuff because typically, as you get further on the trail, the people that are still left that haven't given up have you know, sort of got their stuff together. They've, they've basically, they, they understand what's going on and you get sort of dialed in, I guess. But we go and, and we hit the woods, you go over Mount Rogers, which is like 5,200 feet. And that one's really, really cool. We ran into this guy named Hollywood who was just out for a couple of weeks, but, uh, or no, just out for a couple of days. And he was just so stoked to be out there. Scuba and I ended up doing some night hikes. It was right around the full moon. And those were the first ones we did where, you know, you basically, you've got the moonlight and everything, but it's, it's, you're, you got your headlamps on. There's three of us out there. So it's not spooky or anything, but you're, you're coming across animals that are in the woods and it just sort of gives you a different feel. And that's where, I think we were we were getting closer and closer to 30 mile days at that point because you would hike all day, stop, make a nice big dinner, all that sort of stuff. And then you'd go and hike for three or four more hours into the night, set up camp somewhere and then uh, do it all over again. I mean, we didn't we didn't night hike all the time, but it was just becoming more and more prevalent, I think, because it was warming up, uh, but also it was just cool. It was sort of a change of pace. You do get to a point where you're sort of looking for any new thing to sort of keep you a little active and and everything like that. And I was starting to listen to my little MP3 player a little more often, which I don't know. It's it's one of those things. If you're hiking for ten or twelve hours 
it's nice to be able to pop something on and either listen to music or podcasts or something. Um, I think at that time, the only podcasts really that were out there were, you know, Radio Lab and, and the Moth podcast, stuff like that. It was back in the early days, but it was, I don't know, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, it gave me a little break, but there were some times where, you know, you can't hear what's going on. I know, I know we passed by a few bears at one point and I didn't see any of them, but everybody else did. Cause I was just listening to my, <laughs> listening to my stories, but I did really like to listen to, I had Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods and it was always so much fun to just I listened to it 80 million times before I went on the trail. It was sort of the big inspiration, but it was great to try and plug into where he was, whatever chapter it was, exactly where I was. So, I don't know, in some ways I got to really like live that book in a lot of ways, which was which was pretty cool. But they jumped around so much in that book as far as their how they did the trail. It was it was a little hard. You couldn't just sort of keep going through it, but uh, we get up and start passing some of the big interstates, and we had a great night on Interstate, uh, I think it's 81, and there's a nice little relax in. That was that was a nice little, and that was just a pause, but the only problem with that one, I believe, was that the only place to reprovision was a gas station, and that, that was not, uh, not super cool. It was uh, pretty disgusting. Lots of beef jerky, lots of bags of chips and candy bars, and that that had to last for three or four days. And I think we were able to get just that that powdered mac and cheese and maybe some ramen noodles, but nothing compared to what we normally would. And uh, so we just, you know, you do what you do. But I tell you, just finding that little hotel after three four days in the woods and getting beers and usually. There's a pizza place somewhere close enough that they'll deliver it. And sometimes you had to pay extra, but it was always, always worth it. But um, yeah, we, we just kind of keep going and going and going. And at this point, too, the it had not rained in forever. The woods were super crazy dry. There were forest fires all over. Um, gosh, the forest fires were pretty scary. There were some times where you'd be up on these ridgelines and you could see the smoke coming from them. We never got blocked by anything. None of them were that bad. They're not like, you know, the fires they have out West, but still definitely a concern. And it also made it that that we couldn't, you know, have fires. Nobody was telling us we couldn't, but you know, we, we just, you're just, it's all dry leaves, dry everything. If it's windy, it just wasn't something we wanted to worry about. And even though it was still pretty cold at night, and the trees and everything is still winter dead. It, it um, I don't know. It was just that was probably one of the the smarter things that we actually decided not to have fires until until it got nice and rainy again. But yeah, we had some some good rest, few few hops here and there. And like I said, we were getting up into the the mid twenties as far as how many how many miles we would do each day. And that again, it just suddenly you go from slowly chipping away to all of a sudden you're like barreling down this trail and it it feels great because Virginia even though it still has the big mountains everything is it seems like the angle of attack is is a lot easier so there's not there's not the excruciating uphills they may be really long but I always describe it in my journal as the soft trail like the trail was really soft today 
felt good. You know, the, the feet, everything just, I don't know. You can just keep going and going and going. And we end up catching up with, uh, another of our guys, uh, meat was his trail name. Super cool. He was a super fast hiker. We had, we'd sort of caught up with him early on in the trip, but it's, it's pretty interesting. Somebody can literally be hiking 10 miles ahead of you. So half a day away, but they will, as long as everybody's matching pace, you end up never seeing that person. You only read their little excerpts unless you want to really just throttle it down and, and put down huge miles, which we still couldn't quite do at that point. We we needed to still be, be pretty careful because you don't want to get into such a flurry that all of a sudden you trip, sprain your ankle, because then you lose a couple of days having to sit in a hotel room and ice everything. So, you know, earlier on in the trail, that was sort of what was happening to me. And I don't know. At this point, we didn't really want to separate too much because I knew that as we got up towards the end of Virginia, Scuba was going to take off and go see some family for about a week in uh, Waynesboro. Uh, maybe he was going to Roanoke. I don't know. But so I knew that that our time was sort of coming to an end. I figured, though, because he was a lot younger than I was and he hiked, you know, if he really wanted to, he could hike like a madman. So I figured he would catch back up, but it was one of those things where you sort of just didn't know. And so we were just trying to enjoy, you know, and, and take it all in and stuff. But I remember by like April 11th, I think we had done our first mileage above 30. So we did 33 miles in one day. And, uh, that was, that was pretty insane. I just, I don't know. It's, it's something where you don't even think you can do it. And man, we, we absolutely did. We were trying to catch up with meats and that was sort of, we sort of had this goal, but, um, yeah, 33 miles, it just felt so good. And the fact that my legs and my feet didn't hurt. I think, I think when your legs get to a certain point, uh, with the strength and everything and the endurance, it really changes from your legs sort of giving out at the end of the day to your feet becoming just so tender. And I was still using the same boots that I started with, which was a pretty big mistake. I should have changed them out. I think I think typically for the rest of the trail, I end up using just tennis shoes, you know, like cross trainers or whatever. And I would get a good five to 600 miles out of them before – you could really tell that they were they were either physically falling apart or there just wasn't my my feet would be more and more sore. So, you know, if I if I were to go back and do it again, I, I don't think I'd ever wear boots. It would all just be cross trainers, you know, like trek um I don't know, they they used to have like a name for those. They're basically like running shoes. Maybe they're cross trainers. I don't who knows, who knows? But um yeah, get up to being on the trail for like 40 days. And right around mid-April was when some of the buds started coming out of the trees. And so that that was kind of cool. But at the same time, we knew that pretty soon our views were going to be pretty much gone. Because with, with the winter dead world, you get up to these these peaks and you can still at least see through everything. And you can see all the surrounding ridge lines. And it's pretty cool. As those leaves start popping out, it's it's amazing how quickly you just get sort of almost suffocated to by the by the trees where you're no longer seeing the sky, you're in this constant shade. 
most of the balds are all in this deep south where you get up to the top of the hill and there's nothing but grass up there. And and the further you up, the next place you really start to see all the balds and, and the big views isn't until like New Hampshire and the White Mountains and all that sort of stuff. So things were sort of changing. And in some spots, it was cool because you're going up and down, up and down all these mountains. So you'd get down into the valleys and the trees were really budding, but the higher elevations, they weren't at all. And so it, it almost took on, the forest sort of took on this this almost tie-dye sort of feel where if you if you were looking at it from a ridgeline, you'd just see green fade back into that brown of winter dead trees and stuff. So it was cool. I, I really was enjoying my time in Virginia and, and just watching it change and even though it wasn't super warm yet, it, it felt like spring was, was really coming along. And, you know, we go up, down, up, down, tons, tons more hiking. We're, we're doing those 20 mile, 30 mile days. And, uh, I remember, uh, we rolled into one, one spot. It was like mid April and we come across this guy and he's, oh man, he was just wearing like this little pair of shorts. He's this huge filthy mop of hair and uh skinny and he's the only one he's just sitting at the shelter and scuba and i sort of rolled up we were just looking for i think just a water source or something and dude's name was i'm not even say what his name was because i wouldn't want i wouldn't want him uh feeling bad but (laughs) goes in and he starts telling us he's we can tell he's an oddball you know weird can't can't look us in the eye you know, jumping around and, uh, he was, I think he was practicing sword moves, you know, uh, with his walking stick, uh, like a samurai sort of, but again, granted he's, he's by himself. So, you know, do do whatever makes you happy, I guess. But it, when Scuba and I rolled in, it didn't stop him. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're sort of watching and listening and, and he just goes and starts talking and he's telling the story about, the night before he had come in, so he'd been at that shelter, you know, the whole day. And this is like mid-afternoon. And and he had basically rocked into that shelter at about 1030 at night. And he's he's saying, Oh, these these people just they got so mad at me and they they're telling me to be quiet and, and go and stay somewhere else. And, you know, these shelters are for everybody. And and then we get out that that yeah, he had rolled in at 1030 at night. Started taking all his cooking stuff out and cooking, which I, you know, I guess it's acceptable to do that if if you're you're out there hiking and everything. But if you can do it a hundred feet away um, in the woods or somewhere else, or at least just just be really really quiet, because if people are sleeping, you know, you don't want to you don't want to disturb them. So, uh, but he didn't care, and so after cooking his meal, he decided that he wanted to do a little bit of an extra workout. So he started doing like pull-ups and push-ups inside of the edge of the shelter, which means he's basically trying to do this little exercise routine about four feet away from all these people who are trying to sleep. And I can only imagine (laughs) what I would have done. Uh, You know, luckily we, Scuba and I, we hadn't slept in a shelter in forever, but um, (laughs) I mean, there is, there is a bit of hiking etiquette out there and, that's one of the biggest things. If you're going to, it's, it's kind of strange because if you're going to roll out or roll into a, a shelter super late, yeah, you have to be really quiet. But 
the early bird gets the worm. If you're if you're up and you you want to be hiking by sunrise, there's really not too much of an issue of getting up and boiling water and and you know, you're going to end up making all that noise. But again, these are all things that we didn't have to even worry about because we didn't stay in shelters. Um sleep so much better in a tent anyway, so but that was my story about <laughs> provisions. So after that encounter, it was uh, <laughs> off and running, but we um, we ended up sleeping at a place that was supposedly haunted, and you come across a few of those you know, on the AT where it's either graves. Uh, we we had slept in a few little graveyard areas. Um, I, I probably wouldn't want to do that alone, but you know you got scuba there, you get a couple of beers, it's no big deal. Um, but there was one; it was this creepy story, and it's. There's this little plaque marking where they found this little kid's body. He was like a five-year-old. His name was Audie Powell. And I guess back in like 1890s or something like that, he went searching for wood. They found him like 13 miles. Actually, let me read it exactly. It was 1890. Went into the woods. He was seven miles Uh permanent gravestone for his final resting place seven miles from the monument so they had it wasn't exactly where they found him but he was he he was found five months later and this is like he was four years old so supposedly his little ghost runs around in those hills and has been seen before and all that so we camped there no big deal um and then yeah we pretty much just keep keep heading further and further north uh doing these big 20 milers and you know, almost finishing up with the South. And in, in some ways you start to, or at least I did, I started to kind of want to actually slow down. I was torn between being able to lay out all these big mile days and watching, you know, on my map, how that just was disappearing, you know, pages of the guidebook getting used as, uh, used for lighting fires and stuff. Cause by this point it had rained some more. This is towards the end of April. And, um, we approach, we went through this one chunk of woods right before a little town called Buena Vista. And it was, I think, some of the only true old growth, like virgin hardwood forest down there. And I mean, it was definitely, it was only like a mile stretch, but it was amazing. I mean, these trees, they're not gigantic like redwoods by any means, but it was such a super climax forest that these trees were the only ones. So normally, you know, you look in the woods and there's, there's tree trunks everywhere. You could wrap your arms around them or or pretty close. These, you couldn't even, I I would say they have to be at least 12 feet in circumference, if not a little bit more. And because they're old, like beech trees or whatever they were, they're, the forest just seems completely open. The, the, you know, the canopy is all budding and so, um, yeah, there's just, there's no undergrowth. All these trees have basically taken over the forest down there. And so you're just seeing a trunk every 50 or a hundred feet. And yet you're still underneath all the canopy, the branches and the budding leaves and all that sort of stuff. It's just amazing. You, you felt, I felt at least for the first time that I was in some really ancient, feeling forest that you know nothing has changed there for hundreds of years and you know in fact it hadn't and it was just cool i it did make me a little a little bit sad to think that 
at one time the entire Appalachian mountain range was just covered in that sort of growth where you had the old American chestnuts, which were gigantic. And they, they basically took over the forest because they, they would block out the sun for every other tree. So nothing else could even compete. And to just be in this forest with these giant trunks, you, you almost, almost get the feel of being in like a cathedral or something where you know you're in this massive, massive place. You're only seeing the pillars that are holding up this giant ecosystem. And you really just feel super small. I don't know. It, it's crazy. But we get through that, and then we, we hitchhike into town, stay at this dump of a place. I mean, absolutely horrible. I the They gave me a smoking room. It was disgusting. I mean, it smelled awful. But still, in some ways, it was paradise. And uh, the forecast was pretty bad. We were almost tempted to stay another day. Probably would have if the hotel would have been um, anything a little bit nicer, but basically it was going to be raining and the temperature was going to drop into the low thirties, which meant once we got up to altitude, we were going to be in the snow. And so we, we take off the next day, get this insane ride from, I don't think the guy was drunk, but just totally distracted, telling stories. We're weaving all over the road. It's raining hard. We were both basically just thankful that we, we made it to the trail alive. And, um, and then we just set off, and within an hour, it's already snowing. So just little bits at first, nothing too big. And then we find a shelter. There's a couple people that have set up their tarp and tent inside the shelter. So we just go, and the winds are whipping. The snow starts falling like crazy. And so we just try and set up our tents as quick as possible and, and sort of hunker down for the, the rest of the day and into the night. And when we wake up in the morning, it, it there must have been four, maybe six inches of snow. So this was sort of the one time where I was a little bit scared on the trail about, you know, my ability, what, what, what I should do. Should we go or should we just hunker down? Because, you know, it was pretty warm in my tent and in my sleeping bag. And so I knew I could probably just sort of stay there, but... I didn't, I didn't want to, cause I also didn't know how much worse it was going to get. And so we basically went and we were like yelling to each other cause it's super windy, snow's flying and we decided we'd just go for it. But we were kind of trying to psych each other up cause we knew the minute, the minute you get out of your bag and out of your tent, it's, it's like go time. You're just going to start getting colder and colder and you have to, you have to, basically go from that comfort zone to moving quickly to get the heat because I, you know, I didn't have any real heavy weather, you know, winter stuff. I mean, this was the coldest uh, weather that we had seen on the whole thing. And by this point, we had sort of given up on winter ever really hitting us. We, we always thought it would be in the Smokies, but it never did. We were, we were so lucky back then. And Anyway, we we basically it was this probably most methodical packing we've ever done, and I know because we were headed into Waynesboro after that, and it was actually it was kind of sad because this was going to be our last day of hiking for Scuba and I before he went and and took off, and you know we had spent literally like 50, 50 days on the trail, not always uh, hiking together, but pretty consistently. So we were, we we're pretty good friends at this point, but. 
we go and I'm just, I'm shivering and I, my hands are freezing cause I'm taking all these little, these little anchor lines out of the tree and all this sort of stuff. And basically as soon as I'm ready, I have to go. And so it was a real quick, like, all right, Steve, you have a good one, man. I'll, uh, I'll hopefully catch up with you soon. And we had his contact, uh, info and everything. So it wasn't too, wasn't like the final thing. And I guess a little update right here. He may be actually coming and helping me take the boat from South Carolina up to Maine, uh, this, this May or this June. So those AT bonds, they're strong people get out there. You're going to make some lifelong friends. I mean, it's been almost 10 years since then. So, so we go and, and basically I say, all right, man, I got to get out of here. I got to start moving. And I hit the trail and, the interesting part was that there really was no trail. It was all snow covered. So even with all the wind, even the white blazes on the trees to mark the trail were covered up by snow. And so you're you're sort of trying to follow the open path or whatever sort of looks like it. And it's pretty nerve wracking and it's slippery. And again, this was just one of those times where one... I wanted to keep moving. I had to keep moving to keep my body temperature up. And two, you had to be super cautious not to slip and hurt yourself. So again, you're sort of torn between the two things you want to do and then what you can do. And all I knew is I wanted to get out of uh, off of the mountains and down to lower lower spots. And after a few hours of hiking and you know backtracking when I would get off the trail and this and that, I was able to finally get to a point where the the snow was gone and it was warm enough where nothing, if if it was still falling out of the sky, it was only, it wasn't accumulating. So at least I knew, you know, I was coming out of it, which was definitely good, but it was a long hike. I, that, that day was well into the 20 miles to get into, uh, Waynesboro and it was pretty miserable. I mean, that, that, that made me think a lot about all the years where people go through the Smokies and there's literally like three, four foot drifts and they have to push their way through it and people are using, you know, snowshoes and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it is what it is. But we basically um, hit up a, a nice zero day, or at least I did. Scuba took off, but I did a zero day in Waynesboro and then hit the Shenandoah mountains, uh, after that. And Shenandoah is, is, you know, it's, it's comparable to the Smokies. It's super busy. You have to stay in the shelters. The shelters are a lot nicer, but the trail and everything is super manicured. They have these old stone walls. A lot of it was built during the great depression. And so it's a really beautiful, park and I had run into meets again caught up with him and so we were hiking with he and then a few others it was the first time I ran into a guy named Sasquatch who was great super big beard he'd lost like 50 pounds so far on the trail I mean he's he's amazing super funny guy and uh so we we're meeting other people and and I was sort of I don't know I was still a little you know sad to to not have scuba with me for, you know, who knows how long. I mean, he was, he was going to be gone. I think it was either five days or seven days. So basically he's going to be more than a hundred miles behind. And again, I I figured he would be able to catch me up, uh, especially if I took an extra zero day here or there, but you know, you never really knew. So 
either way, it was it was pretty cool to sort of be in this new environment. And and again, the when you go through the Shenandoahs, you're also going there's Skyline Drive, which is the big, uh, really, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it, like a historic highway, I guess. But anyway, it it sort of goes along, so you're always being able to pop out of the woods and you get to these little overlook uh, viewpoints where they have parking lots and they have garbage cans and things like that. So you can you can offload all your garbage, take in the nice view and all that sort of stuff, and then you go right back into the woods. And it is a little strange to have cars, you know, buzzing, buzzing by every once in a while. Like you, you feel like you're in the woods, but then all of a sudden, a couple of cars pass by like a hundred feet away. But I think they do a pretty good job of melding the road traffic with the AT hiking and everything. And I don't know, I, from what I understand, it, it was a pretty big dispute about, you know, who should they allow a, a road up there? It should just be the hiking trail or all this or that. So I don't know. I mean, for me, it was great mostly just cause I, I could still get out of the woods and have these great views, meet other people. There was, there wasn't a ton of, uh, trail magic going on, but there was a lot of good conversations with people because by this point, AT hikers are sort of rare enough that we're an oddball coming out of the woods and uh, you, you run into this family and they don't they don't really have any idea about the Appalachian Trail. So you get in these great conversations and I don't know, there's this, this neat feeling of, I don't know, it, whenever you do stuff like that that's way out of the ordinary, people are pretty amazed by it. And you get a nice little ego boost, I guess, if anything, just because people are like, what? You started in where? Huh? And they just, you know, you start to explain it to them. And at least the first bunch of times you have to do that, it's pretty cool. It does kind of wear thin after a while. You sort of come up with a uh, a little bit of, I don't know, a script. I don't want to say that because it's not quite like that. Every Meeting everybody's a little different, but you do get the same question over and over and over again. And typically what do you eat how do you sleep do you have a gun <laughs> aren't you worried about bears those are sort of the big big questions but uh yeah we keep going and get through the shanties i think we we're only in there for like four days and that's sort of the tail end of being in uh in virginia because you get out of those and then all of a sudden it's only a day or two i think i think yeah, you get out of Shanties, and then you end up going through some into Front Royal, where I went and shaved my head because now we were going to get into Tick Country, which is never, never a fun thing. Basically, the the whole Lyme disease and deer ticks and all that sort of stuff there, they really start to get bad from West Virginia north. And everything south isn't really bad, and they barely have any. I don't think we, I think I might have seen like one wood tick or something like that the whole time. But now I knew that that we were actually getting into pretty nasty, especially with the Lyme disease. You never want to get that. It ended up getting Scuba Steve. Uh, he, he ended up, I think he got it in Connecticut, and it, it wiped him out for maybe a week. So. I don't know. It was pretty bad. I knew quite a few people that, that ended up getting it. They would just, you know, they'd find that that bullseye rash and then they'd go right to the hospital. And some of them kept hiking. They just hiked only five miles a day. And then others just took a break until they got better. So I don't know. It kind of sucks. It's, 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 
you you think about some of the, the dangers out there, and obviously on everybody's list is bears, um, snakes, crazy hillbilly people, um, and you don't really think of these little tiny bugs that can actually do a lot of damage. I mean, Lyme disease can kill you if uh, if you don't if you don't treat it. I mean, it has all sorts of really bad stuff, and to have something like that be so prevalent on the second half, the northern half of the trail, you know, it, it, I would say it's probably the biggest threat you actually, it probably that and crossing a street after you've been in the woods for five days. Believe it or not, it's not easy. You cannot judge the speed of a car <laughs> after you haven't seen it and you've been, you know, living in a world of, uh, of three and four mile an hour movements. So, but yeah, we, uh, or I should say I, at this point, because I was alone, um, go over this place called the Roller Coasters, which has this pretty scary uh, reputation where the hills aren't aren't big by any means. Only maybe 2,000 feet, if that. Maybe probably just 1,000 feet. But there's 12 or 13 of them all in a row, and you just go up it and then down, up it and down, up and down. And it, it was hot at this point, and I was approaching you know, the 1,000-mile mark. And I think he hit it on that day, but I'd also found a beautiful treasure of a nice little paperback book. Uh, so there was some some good stuff in that one. But you basically, uh, after you get through the roller coasters, you head into Harper's Ferry, and that's traditionally not by mileage, but traditionally that's sort of the halfway point. You're 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 only a couple days away from crossing the Mason Dixon line. And, and it's kind of this weird, funky little area of the trail because you go from Virginia to West Virginia to Maryland to Pennsylvania. And so there's four states, and there's the four-state challenge where I think you have to do 42 miles in a day, but you can hike. If you start right at the Virginia border with West Virginia, you can hit all four states uh, with just hiking 40, 42 miles, I believe, and I don't know. It's kind of cool. I I flipped the challenge, and I wanted to hike all four. I wanted to camp in all four states, so I did a a little bit of a, a U turn <laughs> as far as the traditional thing. I think partly because we'd flown through Virginia so fast that I started sort of getting a little bit of fear of oh my gosh, this is actually going to be over because in the beginning of the trail you have so much ahead of you and so many months and you just think, wow, this is great. You sort of, I don't think I was taking it for granted, but it just, the thought of finishing was so far away if it was even possible. And then all of a sudden you're reaching the halfway point and you're there some 55 days into the trip and you're thinking to yourself, holy cow, if I keep hiking this fast, I'm going to finish in under a hundred days. This, that's way too quick, way too soon. I gotta, I gotta like slow up here. At least that was what's going on in my head because I didn't have any sort of, um, uh, I didn't I didn't have anything I was going back to. Like my plate was clean. I was ready to move on, and I I was I think part of me was hoping to sort of sort out what I wanted to do with uh, the rest of my life at that point. But I also didn't dwell on it. It was I wanted it to just come naturally, and I don't know. It, it's funny reading this journal. I'll hit on that every once in a while where. I can see that I'm I'm wondering what I'm doing. It seems like I'm always 
pretty confident that doing this trail was a really good decision at the time and needed to be done, sort of a recentering of my life and also just a way to clear my head to a point where I knew whatever I was going to do after that was going to be the right move, the next, the next phase. And, you know, by the end of it, and we'll, we'll get into it, but yeah, I had my plan for the next five years set in stone and was able to carry that out, you know, to go and sail and do all that sort of stuff. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting, you know, reading back on this and, and writing the book about it right now is just, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying, I'm in the depths of the middle of this thing and, and I'm trying to still figure out how I want to tell the story and what I really want to tell about it because doing the podcast story of this, I'm sort of just trying to hit on some of the high notes, talk about what it was like, get into it. Um, in the hopes that, you know, one, it's entertaining and two, that, that who knows, maybe somebody will be like, man, I want to do that Appalachian Trail and they'll listen to the whole thing and, and be able to sort of learn from some of my pitfalls because I didn't do a ton of research about it, but, um, no, I don't know. It's to me, it was still, uh, pretty much the best time. And the first half of that trail was, was absolutely just phenomenal, phenomenal, but, uh, yeah, with the with that going into West Virginia, and I I think I don't know I I kind of want to end it at Harper's Ferry at least this episode just because it was kind of cool. So you're you're going in, and Harper's Ferry is this like little town, and it's 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 weird. <laughs> you go into the Appalachian Trail Conservancy Center or whatever it is where they're sort of the ones that are in control, the governing body, let's say, of the AT. And so you go in there and they have this huge relief map. It's like 12 feet long and it it, it shows you the actual mountains and everything. And it's pretty, pretty amazing because you, you, for the first time, when you look at that, you're looking at like almost half of it that you've already done. Anytime previous that I've looked at it, it, it looked like I'd only done a teeny little bit of the trail and, and I had pretty much thousands of miles left to go but in this one now you're you're really looking at it but they you go in there and you sign off and i think i want to say i was number 200 what number was i i think i was number 256 or something going in there and that was that was pretty cool um they take your picture right out in front and i don't know it's, it's just sort of this neat feeling of I don't know accomplishment I guess you you get um you sort of just get recognized and you're in the books for good that that you are so they they take down your your trail name and all that sort of stuff I'm trying to find the picture right now oh there's that wow okay so yeah no I was number 39 wow only 39 that's pretty crazy so I'm number 39 going north for that and yeah looking at we got the lorax we got extreme oh my gosh these guys are too great so yeah i mean and i think they keep those records they're they're i could probably go back there someday and and go and look at that picture but i don't know it was it was pretty cool you, you definitely feel feel pretty good about uh yourself once you make it the halfway but then you go into the town and and at this point i had made one crucial decision and that was 
I was going to throw down the quiche to get a really nice blow-up sleeping pad. And they have a little tiny outfitter. It was definitely going to be a bit overpriced, but I I went with one of the big, it's like super lightweight, but it's about two inches thick air mattress that was, you know, full body. Cause I just, I just wanted to be able to sleep more comfortably. And I also, I knew that, you know, as, as things warmed up, it was going to be a little trickier to sleep. I always found it's easier when you're sleeping in a sleeping bag, the colder it is, the better it is. Cause you, you can just wrap up in it. But as, as things go on further and further, it gets hotter and hotter and I don't know, it gets a little more difficult. So you need as much comfort as possible. So I switched up that gear and uh, sort of trotted around the town. It was kind of neat. It's it's like a little touristy trap thing. But then, but before I ended up heading out and, and crossing the state line and everything, I actually made an arrangement and, and got to go take a, a quick little break from the AT, just an overnight. But I went to visit some family in uh, Annapolis and... It was kind of cool because this my cousins had who were just a few years older than I am. You know, they had two girls that I had never met before because I had been living, you know, in the British Virgin Islands for for pretty much their whole lives. And I think they were probably four and six or seven. But it was pretty cool. I went and got little. They sell at the ATC uh, center. They they sell little little shelter mice, little stuffed animals. So I bought a couple of those and, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be that crazy sort of uncle cousin person that, you know, comes off of this crazy adventure that they probably don't understand at all, but, but is bearing gifts. Cause I definitely remember that from my childhood and it was always, those were always the coolest cousins that I had. <laughs> bribe them, just bribe them with the good stuff. Um, but yeah, so I went and it was cool. You know, at that point I had a pretty big beard. Um, I think some of my hair was growing back after shaving it after Shenandoah, but uh, not much. I mean, I, I must have looked pretty strange at that point. But regardless, we had a nice, nice visit. And I think at some point I was also sort of hoping that that would give Scuba a little time to catch up, uh, even though he's going to be gone for so long. But yeah, we had this great, you know, tons of food, lots of laughs, stories, all that sort of stuff. And uh, I think I brought them each a a full length, like this four foot trail map of the the entire AT, and so they could sort of follow along for the rest of the the trip and stuff. So I don't know, it was it was pretty cool, and that was pretty much all of Virginia. After that, uh, we just get into West Virginia and. Maryland and then PA and on and on and on and spring comes and all that sort of stuff. We'll get into it. I'll keep going. I think what we'll probably end up doing for for the last few episodes on this, I think we might combine a couple of the states because they get really small. I mean, um, Maryland only has like 30 miles or something and PA is kind of, Pennsylvania is pretty long, but New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, all that. So it, it gets really short, Massachusetts. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think, I think we'll just freewheel it for the rest of the time. And I'll just pick up in West Virginia on the next episode and keep working my way north. I am trying to sort of work on the book as I do this podcast. So I don't know. It's, 
it, there may be some more breaks, but I also have a couple other people lined up for interviews uh, for the coming days. Hopefully even, actually, I might be able to get one in today, but I'm starting to cook up some plans for a possible road trip where, because I need to just get out. I, I feel... I feel like I haven't gone out and seen so many people, obviously, because of the state of affairs right now. But there's a lot of interesting people that I know that do some pretty crazy stuff. And I'm kind of thinking before I take off to sail the boat back up to Maine, it might be kind of neat to do like a week-long or 10-day road trip all the way out to the West Coast, all the way back to the East Coast, uh, hitting up all these these people. I mean, we're talking everybody from... You know, people that sell boats to, you know, editors out in Hollywood to people who show dogs to uh, I just uh, there's a plethora of of good friends that I know um, just to sort of see where I can take this podcast. And, you know, I, I really I'm enjoying doing sort of the storytelling. But to be honest, I really, really like doing the interviews because it's just so nice to hear other people's take on on their lives and what they're doing and and how they like to live and all that sort of stuff. So hopefully that'll all be coming down the pipeline um, pretty soon. And if I can, if I end up doing that road trip, it, it should be pretty cool because I, I can do a podcast pretty much almost every single day. And, uh, you know, the one of the troubles that I have is that my – I I just can't bring myself to do an interview over the phone with that crummy cell phone quality because a good podcast is it has to be live one one the content is always much better when you're staring the person right in the face and two the audio quality has to be top notch and from what i hear the audio quality is pretty darn good on this this uh on all the ones that i've done and i want to keep it that way and so what that basically means is if I want to find some interesting people, I have to actually go to them. I don't think anybody would be willing to fly to Mighty Sparrow to be interviewed by me. But uh, maybe one day we could actually get there. Um, who knows? Because I am enjoying it. And it, like I said, the interviews are just a blast. And pretty much, I almost feel like, you know, I should rename it like You're Not Famous. Because those are typically the people I really want to <laughs> interview. Anybody who doesn't really... Uh, anybody who doesn't really belong on a podcast, I suppose, but only in the traditional normal sense of like, oh, I got to have that guest who's did this and that. It's more like, no, I want to have this guest and I just want to find out what that person does. Some of the most normal people are the most interesting as long as they, you know, get asked the right questions. So other than that, uh, again, now I've got a couple of patrons, which I can't thank you guys enough. That's, that's going to help, uh, pay the bill for the platform and everything. And, uh, so hopefully we'll be able to keep this, this, uh, this podcast moving and get some more guests and get me out to those guests. But, uh, other than that, yeah, as usual, a little plug for the book, the audio book, audible, everything, um, sailing into oblivion. It's, it's selling slowly, but surely. And, and that helps as well. So can't thank you guys enough. Have a wonderful day. And, uh, I'll talk to you later.